Support this show and all the work in the Heartland Pod universe by going to heartlandpod.com and clicking the Patreon link to sign up. Membership starts at $1 a month and goes up from there with extra shows and special access at the higher levels. Heartlandpod.com. Click the Patreon link or just go to Patreon and search for the Heartland Pod. No matter the level you choose, your membership helps us create these independent shows as we work together to change the conversation. Welcome back to Flyover View, a member of the Heartland Pod family of podcasts, and a look at Heartland news from 30,000 feet. From the Gateway Arch of the Rocky Mountains, I'm your host, Kevin Smith. I want to thank you for joining me today. This week offers a mixed bag with stories of gun violence, once more dominating headlines, but also legal moves against institutions propagating stolen election falsehoods, and maybe not the ones you're thinking of. Plus, my last headline sheds a little light on just how poorly culture warriors did in school board elections. So, let's dive in, folks. Homeowner who shot black teen Ralph Yarl pleads not guilty. The 84-year-old man who shot Ralph Yarl when the black teenager went to his door by mistake pleaded not guilty on Wednesday. Andrew Lester walked into the courtroom with a cane and spoke quietly during Wednesday's hearing, his first public appearance since last week's shooting. Authorities say he shot Yarl, a 16-year-old honor student, first in the head and then in the arm after Yarl came to his door because he had confused the address with the home where he was supposed to pick up his younger brothers. The case is not alone in the conversation, being among three in recent days involving young people who were shot after mistakenly showing up in the wrong places. A 20-year-old woman was killed in upstate New York when the car she was in pulled into the wrong driveway. In Texas, two cheerleaders were shot after one of them mistakenly got into a car thinking it was hers. Jarl was shot at point-blank range in the head, but miraculously survived the bullet. Some civil rights leaders and Jarl's family attorney, Lee Merritt, have urged the Department of Justice to investigate the shootings and for prosecutors to charge Lester with a hate crime, with Merritt noting that Jarl was, quote, armed only with his black skin. Now, Clay County Prosecutor Zachary Thompson says that first-degree assault is a higher-level crime, allowing a sentence of up to a life in prison, which is more than a hate crime charge would carry. Lester remains free, though, after posting $20,000, which is 10% of his $200,000 bond, and agreeing to relinquish any weapons and have no contact with Jarl or his family. He also agreed to have his cell phone monitor. According to Merritt, Jarl's relatives were not at Wednesday's hearing because they are emotionally exhausted. Merritt said Jarl, an all-state band member as well as a top student, is completely humbled by the outpouring of support. Lester told police he lives alone and was scared to death when he saw Jarl on the porch because he thought someone was trying to break in. No words were exchanged before the shooting, but afterwards, as Jarl got up to run, he heard Lester yell, Don't come around here. Jarl ran to multiple homes asking for help before finding someone who would call the police. Legal experts expect Lester to claim self-defense and cite Missouri's stand-your-ground law. The state is one of about 30 with statutes that say people don't have to retreat when threatened, but instead can respond with physical force. According to Merritt, though, this law only applies if someone's on your property and they're looking to do you harm, and there just isn't any evidence of that. The Castle Doctrine does not apply in this case. The shooting itself outraged many in Kansas City and across the country. President Joe Biden spoke with Jarl on Monday and on Tuesday invited him to the White House. Biden states no parent should have to worry that their kid will be shot after ringing the wrong doorbell. We have got to keep up the fight against gun violence. Republican Governor Mike Parson, who had remained silent on the shooting until Wednesday, 
accused Biden of politicizing it. As Fox News heads to trial, a far-right St. Louis site faces its own defamation suit. They didn't know it at the time, but December 3, 2020, was the start of a nightmare for Wandria Moss and her mother, Ruby Freeman. Both were election workers in Atlanta, and that was the day Rudy Giuliani, ex-New York mayor and advisor to former President Donald Trump, testified to a state Senate committee that Georgia election officials had counted illegal ballots to steal the presidency for Joe Biden. The allegations were quickly debunked by government officials and the media, but they still reverberated through the right-wing media outlets. Later that day, the Gateway Pundit, a St. Louis-based site run by brothers Jim and Joe Hoft, identified Freeman as one of the election workers accused of producing and counting 18,000 hidden and fraudulent ballots from a suitcase. What's up, Ruby? The site's headline read that day. Breaking. Crooked operative filmed pulling out suitcases of ballots in Georgia is identified. A month after the initial allegations, Trump himself singled out Freeman by name in a call with Georgia officials, pressing them to alter the state's election results. The Gateway Pundit bragged in an article about the call that the site was the first to identify Freeman and Moss. So, the former president's supporters went on the attack. Freeman and Moss say they were almost immediately bombarded with threats of violence, many tinged with racial slurs. Under the advice from the FBI, Freeman says she had to flee her home. On January 6, 2021, the day of the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, Freeman said her home was surrounded by Trump supporters shouting through bullhorns. Moss says strangers tried to get into her grandmother's home to make a, quote, citizen's arrest. Gateway Pundit would go on to publish numerous stories about Freeman and Moss, with headlines like, Where's Bill Barr? We got your voter fraud, A.G. Barr. It's on video, and they attempted to steal Georgia with it. How about a few arrests? Freeman and Moss say the Hoffs never responded to a letter demanding they retract and take down the stories. So in December of 2021, the women filed a lawsuit in the St. Louis Circuit Court against the Gateway Pundit for defamation and emotional distress. It's scheduled for a hearing on next month. In the nearly two decades since its founding, the Gateway Pundit has spread debunked conspiracies on a wide range of topics, from the 2018 Parkland school shootings to former President Barack Obama's birth certificate. It's helped proliferate lies about the brutal attack on former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband and made false claims about U.S. aid money sent to Ukraine. And even Eric Schmidt, via the Missouri Attorney General's office last year, added Hoft as a co-plaintiff in a bogus lawsuit about the federal government colluding with social media companies to suppress freedom of speech. But the site's biggest focus in recent years has been propagating lies about election fraud. The lawsuit from Friedman and Moss against the Gateway Pundit is one of a smattering of defamation claims across the country against media companies and other figures accused of peddling misinformation Information about the 2020 election. The most high-profile case headed to trial this week, where Fox News was going to try and convince a jury it should not have to shell out $1.6 billion to Dominion Voting Systems, which alleges the cable news giant damaged its reputation by promoting phony claims that it rigged the 2020 presidential election by flipping millions of votes from Trump to Biden. Now, Fox News ended up settling with Dominion to the tune of over $700 million, a financial hit that all but states, Dominion Voting Systems, had it right. The judge in the case has already ruled that jurors will be instructed that claims about the 2020 election being stolen are false. While the potentially landmark defamation case against Fox has drawn national attention, the lawsuit against the Gateway Pundit has quietly chugged towards trial without nearly as much attention. 
Yet both cases could have long-lasting consequences, says Daxton Stewart, a journalism professor specializing in media law at Texas Christian University. You're dealing with publishers trafficking conspiracy theories, ones they know or should know to be entirely bogus. They're making factual statements that are demonstrably false, and that cause real harm to people. For their part, the Hofts deny that they ever knowingly fabricated or disseminated blatantly false stories about Freeman and Moss. And in January, the brothers filed a countersuit, claiming they were in fact the ones who were being defamed. Because the Hoffs believed, and still believe, that the 2020 election did not reflect the will of the voters, according to their counterclaim. Why GOP Culture Warriors Lost Big in School Board Races This Month Amid all the attention on this month's elections in Wisconsin and Illinois, one outcome with major implications for 2024 flew under the national radar, though here at the flyover view, a thumb was kept squarely on the pulse. School board candidates, especially those who ran culture war campaigns, well, they flamed out. And there was much rejoicing. Democrats and teachers unions boasted candidates they backed in Midwestern suburbs trounced their opponents in the once sleepy races. The winning record, they said, was particularly noticeable in elections where conservative candidates emphasize agendas packed with race, gender identity, and parental involvement in classrooms. While there's no official tally of school board results in states that held an array of elections on April 4th, two conservative national education groups did not dispute that their candidates posted a losing record. Liberals are now making the case that their winning bids for school board seats in Illinois and Wisconsin show they can beat back Republican attacks on divisive education issues. The results could also serve as a renewed warning to Republican presidential hopefuls like Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. General election voters are less interested in crusades against critical race theory and transgender students than they are in funding schools and ensuring they are safe. According to Kim Anderson, executive director of the National Education Association Labor Union, where culture war issues were being waged by some school board candidates, those issues fell flat with voters. The takeaway for us is that parents and community members and voters want candidates who are focused on strengthening our public schools, not abandoning them. The results from the Milwaukee and Chicago areas are hardly the last word on the matter, though. Thousands more local school elections are set for later this year in some two dozen states. They are often low turnout, low profile, and officially nonpartisan affairs. But conservatives say they are competing aggressively, and progressives need to fight back. Hey there, folks. I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to remind you that we are 100% listener-supported family of podcasts, all under the umbrella of The Heartland Pod. You can catch our flagship show, The Heartland Pod, on Mondays every week with Adam Summer, where he delivers an opening statement before being joined by Sean Diller and Rachel Parker for Talking Politics. You can also join a variety of our hosts on most Tuesdays for Let's Have a Chat, featuring interviews with folks of interest from around the Midwest. On Wednesdays, the focus shifts to a rotating cast of special reports, like The Delta, with Nicholas and Christina Linke, and High Country, Sean Diller's Western Political Updates. On Thursdays, tune in for Dirt Road Democrat with Jess Piper. Learn more at heartlandpod.com, and don't forget for full access to the Last Call episodes and the Heartland News blog, sign up on Patreon as a podhead today. And now, the lightning round. Lightning round. In Montana this week, Republicans typically cry foul when accused of rewriting election laws to benefit their candidates, but 
As the Montana legislature debates a new voting bill, even some GOP lawmakers concede that this one appears designed to help them win elections. More precisely, one very important election. The bill would rewrite rules for the state's next U.S. Senate race, and only that race for 2024. The effort to oust Senator John Tester, a Democrat, is expected to be one of the tightest in the country. The legislation would shift the contest from a traditional election into a top-two primary system making it exceedingly difficult for third parties to reach a general election ballot. Some believe the system would keep the state's vibrant Libertarian Party from siphoning votes from the Republican nominee. In Louisiana, GOP party officials in the state want Louisiana lawmakers to prohibit the study of racism at colleges and universities, claiming that the inglorious aspects of American history are just too divisive. They also want to nix diversity, equity, and inclusion departments at colleges and universities altogether, claiming without evidence, of course, that such agencies stir political tensions on campuses and have overgenerous budgets. This has drawn a response from the University of Louisiana System President Jim Henry who says the claims in the GOP resolution are, quote, so foreign to the reality at our institutions, it honestly defies comment. In Missouri, and in other nonsensical diversity banning news, if the Missouri budget becomes law, with language banning state spending on diversity initiatives, Governor Mike Parson's administration says it would disrupt routine government operations as small as purchasing gas and as large as the Medicaid-managed care program. In the days after the Missouri House approved spending bills with anti-diversity, equity, and inclusion provisions sponsored by State Rep. Doug Ritchie, the State Office of Budget and Planning received reports on potential impacts from 14 state departments. The provision, which Ritchie included on all but one of the 13 budget bills funding state government, would create a conflict with laws encouraging businesses owned by women and minorities to participate in state contracting. The Office of Administration said in its impact statement, this amendment conflicts with these substantive laws. The statement also reads, it is also unconstitutional in that it attempts to place substantive law within an appropriation bill. Man, it's almost like this bow-tie-wearing fool has no fucking clue what he's doing. It's so dumb. It's so dumb, it's brilliant. No! It's just dumb! Also in Missouri news, if you're a transgender resident of Missouri, the next 10 months are set to be horrible. Under an emergency regulation from State Attorney General Andrew Bailey, it will soon become incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for many patients to receive any sort of gender-affirming care. And it's not just minors this time. Beginning on April 27th, it will be considered an unfair, deceptive, fraudulent, or otherwise unlawful practice for healthcare providers in Missouri to provide gender-affirming care without forcing their patients to jump through a number of new hoops. To receive treatment, patients will need a medically documented history of gender dysphoria for at least the last three years. So if you've only just approached a doctor about trans identity within the last year, you're out of luck no matter how long you've had these feelings. Among the regulation's most onerous provision is one that precludes treatment on trans individuals unless they undergo at least 15 hourly sessions over the course of a year and a half to, quote, explore the developmental influences on the patient's current gender identity and to determine, among other things, whether the person has any mental health comorbidities. 
Thankfully, unlike other states, Missouri has not yet moved to exclude gender-affirming treatments from health insurance coverage. But even with private health insurance, the costs associated with the number of therapy sessions required could be higher than some patients are able to afford. Folks, if you or someone you know will suffer from this draconian move, please see the show notes where I have dropped a link to the Missouri chapter of the ACLU where you can reach out to their legal help desk. In Kansas, Kansas's Democratic Governor Laura Kelly has vetoed legislation that would mandate clinics to tell patients that medication abortion can be interrupted using an unproven drug regimen, again pushing back state GOP efforts to restrict abortion despite a decisive statewide vote affirming abortion rights last year. The government's action marked the second time this month that she vetoed an anti-abortion bill approved by GOP-controlled legislature. Last week, she rejected a measure that could subject doctors to criminal charges and law lawsuits if they are accused of not providing enough care for infants delivered alive during certain abortion procedures, even if they're expected to die within seconds outside the womb because of a severe medical issue. Kelly also vetoed Senate Bill 209, some legislation requiring advanced ballots to be returned to the local election office by 7 p.m. on Election Day. In southeast Oklahoma, The sheriff of McCurtain County, one of the investigators and county commissioner, are accused by a newspaper of discussing killing a local reporter and lamenting that modern justice no longer includes hanging black people. The explosive accusations were published this week in the McCurtain Gazette News. According to the newspaper, Sheriff Kevin Clardy, Investigator Alicia Manning, and District 2 Commissioner Mark Jennings were part of an impromptu discussion after the March 6th meeting of the County Board of Commissioners. The Gazette reported that it is in possession of the full audio recording of the discussion. The FBI and the Oklahoma Attorney General's Office have been given copies of the recording. The audio includes some true gems, like, quote, I know where two big deep holes are here if you ever need them, and the reference towards black locals, take them down to Mud Creek and hang them up with damned rope. But you can't do that anymore. They've got more rights than we've got. Jesus, some true bastards there in McCurtain County. And lastly, folks, in Florida, which seems to be something we cover a little bit more and more these days. Staunch DeSantis ally and GOP donor Kent Sturman committed suicide in December, And this week, it was brought to light that this took place shortly after he was accused of sexual misconduct with an underage teen, specifically after the girl's father declined a five-figure hush money deal. Jacksonville police say the investigation is still ongoing, but Sturman allegedly had an inappropriate relationship with the underage girl to whom he offered Taylor Swift concert tickets in exchange for photos of her breasts. An anonymous law enforcement source has revealed that this may just have been the tip of the iceberg, though. Well, that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you for joining us. If you feel you have a story that I should look into and possibly highlight on the show, please tweet me throughout the week at Kev in Midmo or the pod's parent account at Heartland Pod. This week's episode featured reporting and information from The Daily Beast, The Oklahoman, The Kansas Reflector, PBS, The ACLU, MSNBC, The Missouri Independent, Business Insider, The New York Times, Politico, and the Associated Press. Thanks for listening. The Flyover View is a production of MidMap Media, LLC. Learn more at www.heartlandpod.com or at the Heartland Pod on Twitter. See you all next week.